Before we get on with episode 78, a word from a few of our friends. Let's start off with Canterbury Park. Wednesday, August 18th, that's this coming Wednesday, made in Minnesota night at Canterbury Park. First post, 5.10 p.m. Central Time. There are nine thoroughbred races, followed by two quarter horse races, four Minnesota bred stakes races on Wednesday night, the $100,000 Minnesota Derby, the $100,000 Minnesota Oaks, $50,000 Wally's Choice Stakes, and the $50,000 Glitter Star Stakes. Don't forget the industry low 10% takeout in both the Pick 5 and the Pick 6. The 10% takeout 50 cent pick five begins in race number five, and the 10% takeout $1 pick six begins in race number four. For all that and more information, head on over to CanterburyPark.com. Wednesday is also a big day from a contest standpoint for Canterbury. Express bet. There is a live money handicapping contest that will qualify players to the $120,000 BCBC Big Ten Tournament on Thursday, September 16th. To get into the Wednesday contest, it's a $100 entry fee along with a $200 live bankroll play. The winners will receive $3,000 entries to the September 16th event, which is the largest BCBC qualifying contest of the summer and fall. Head on over to expressbet.com for details, but just to quick give you a heads up, the BCBC Big Ten Tournament will award 10 BCBC seats, 2 NHC seats, and $10,000 cash minimum. All those details are more over on expressbet.com. Also, a word from our friends at Monmouth Park. With full fields and big payouts, Monmouth Park has returned as a place to profit. Monmouth's Friday Night Twilight cards are the perfect place to build that weekend bankroll. Live action from Monmouth Park starts at 5 o'clock Eastern every Friday. Weekend action at Monmouth Park begins at 12.15 Eastern every Saturday and Sunday, kicking off the 50-cent win early pick five. Start your weekend days with a bang by playing the 15% takeout win early pick five every Saturday and Sunday. It's one of the nation's first pick fives every weekend. It's big fields, competitive racing, and big paydays, all at beautiful Monmouth Park Racetrack. Now, on to episode 78 of the show. What's going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 16th, 2021. This is episode 78 of the podcast. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. If you are someone who listens to the audio-only version, you've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who likes to watch along, over on YouTube, search bar, Matt Bernier Show, you'll get this episode along with the 77 prior. This week's show is going to be pretty tight. We've got Aaron Reed coming on to help us for this week's Friday feature. Saratoga's eighth race, seven furlongs on the main track. It's going to be a starter allowance. If you want to be in Aaron's position next week, you need to leave your selection for the Friday feature beneath the video player on YouTube. If you're correct, I will contact you and we'll set up a time to record next Monday for the show. Uh, oh, and I forgot to mention... However you listen, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to us. It helps us get out all sorts of different content over at In The Money Media. And as always, make sure if you're over on YouTube, that bell icon is lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media YouTube channel. Um, so we'll talk to Aaron Reed about the Friday feature coming up this week. My piece to start, and it's not going to be a deep dive into the, the graded stakes races that we saw. Um, it's going to be more of an overriding theme. And maybe one comment on, on a stake outside of these. 
the the two grade one turf races are the the grade ones that I'll speak of anyway. The Arlington Million and the Four Star Dave. You saw two totally different scenarios play out from a pace standpoint. And I will use Chad Brown as the example because Chad has done this successfully in the past and I think we're at a we're at a I don't want to call it a crossroads. But if you have a top flight turf horse in this country and you're in a grade one, I think you have to go to whoever the owner is and say, if you've got one that can act as a rabbit, they have to go. And if you don't have one that you own, go and either claim one or buy one privately from someone that is purely their only job is to ensure that there's pace because I look at the way the four-star Dave played out and whether this was the intention or not, and granted it didn't work in this scenario, but whether it was the intention or not, both Blowout and Raging Bull are owned by Peter Brandt and trained by Chad Brown. They have contrasting running styles. And I know Raging Bull lately anyway, this year has been a little bit closer to the pace than he has been in the past, but Blowout is a speed horse. She's going to go. And you could, in theory, have the best of both worlds. If for whatever reason the pace is very moderate, you've got a horse that can get out there and she can get brave out there if she's allowed to just walk on the front end. Or the pace is hot. Someone else goes with her, as was the case here. And I say hot. It was it was honest. 46 and 3 for the half mile. And theoretically, it can help set things up for a horse like Raging Bull, who does his best from slightly off of it. Uh, it didn't work out in this instance. To me, it has more to do with Raging Bull than anything, just because I don't totally trust him. But on the flip side of things, you look at the Arlington Million, or the Mr. D, Arlington Million, and domestic spending, I think you could argue, despite the fact that he did not win, I think you could argue this may have been the best race of his career. It won't say that from a speed figure standpoint. It'll say that he regressed from that big effort in his most recent start, which would have been the Manhattan for him to rally into not little pace, zero pace. Here are the splits for those of you that missed it. 26, 52 and 2, 16 and 3 for three quarters going 10 furlongs. Now, two Emmys. It's a great story. Good on the connections. Hugh Robertson wins the final grade one, theoretically, at, at Arlington Park. But I don't think there's, I don't think anyone who has been handicapping for more than a minute would would make a real case that two Emmys was the best horse in the race. The best horse in the race was domestic spending, and unfortunately for him, he just had nothing to run at. He ran each of his quarter miles faster than the prior one. Now, why is this an important piece here right now as we're talking? The idea of, from a handicapping standpoint, perhaps it's a good thing that you get such a, just there's just a complete lack of a lack of willingness to go an honest clip early on in grass racing. And this isn't just a New York thing anymore. I know New York is the one that typically kind of gets gets dragged just because, you know, they're probably the, the most, um, it's most prevalent there that there are very, very slow paces in, in turf routes. But it happens, uh, clearly, it happened in Chicago. Uh, California is usually pretty good about it, but you've seen instances where everyone is just kind of grab, 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 wait, 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 and then try to sprint home. Well, 
Maybe it helps from a gambling standpoint because you are now afforded the opportunity to find some of those giant prices. The horses that go to the front, nobody goes with them because they think they're going to stop, and they don't. They just keep going. And they still have enough left in the tank, I should say, at the top of the lane to have enough of a kick that those horses trying to rally from five off of it or three off of it, they just simply can't make up that much ground. But there's also a part of me, though, that, you know, I'm thinking big picture. I was on Spencer Luganbuehl's podcast, The Redboard Rewind, and I, it bothers me when it probably shouldn't, but it bothers me that I think the only scenario in which domestic spending could legitimately have won horse of the year, and even if it was a long shot, but I think the only scenario in which he could have won horse of the year was to run the table, was to be undefeated this year, culminating with some sort of a Breeders' Cup victory, whether it was the turf or the mile. And right or wrong, I think this race, this loss, despite the fact that he was best, in my opinion, is potentially the thing that could keep him back from that even being a possibility. So it, it... the lack of pace in these sort of races bothers me to the point that you don't necessarily get the most satisfying result unless you bet on or you're involved with the horse that upset the race. And I get it. it, it we're talking kind of two different things, gambling versus, you know, satisfying results. I don't know. If, maybe that's not the right way to put it, but I, I hope you guys understand what, what I'm trying to get at. So I'm at a point now where if I'm Chad, and I'm just using Chad as an example, and Clarovich, I'm using Clarovich as an example because they, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Any race that domestic spending is in from here on, I'm finding a horse that's going to ensure that there's pace. Whether there's one in the barn that fits that bill, or you go out and claim something for 50, and you just say, look, whomever the rider is, your job is to make sure that there's pace in this race. At all costs. That to me is because you're going to at least at that point, you can't sit there and argue that the reason we got beat or you can't sit back on Monday looking back at the Arlington Million and say, damn it, you know, we, we were the best horse and probably by I'm not going to say a, far, a fair margin because I don't I don't want to that makes it sound like I'm not giving two Emmys and everybody involved any credit. But I mean, the best horse didn't win. And that's a little unsatisfying to me. In, in a spot like this, and it's simply because of the dynamics of the race. And I'm not saying that Flavio and Pratt did anything wrong. It's just there, there was nothing you could do with the lack of speed in there. And I, I think about Europe. Europe all the time. Rabbits are used all the time from the top flight barns. And really, it I mean, the O'Brien barn, they'll always use some sort of a rabbit. Think of, and not that she's technically a rabbit because she makes sense in her own right but you think of like summer romance in altica the godolphin horses for charlie appleby that have come over here you have the best of both worlds where if summer romance can get out there and get brave she can win but you you best believe there's legitimate pace in that race for altica to come running at so you know there's nothing wrong with that sort of thing. And some people say, oh, well, you know, you're kind of manipulating things. Not really. There's nothing saying that you can't do that. And I would rather have that happen than see these instances where I feel like really superior talents just simply because no one wants to go on grass. No one. I would rather see, even if you have to take it into your own hands, Frankel 
with, with Judmont and Sir Henry Cecil, they would have a rabbit in many of his races to ensure that there was pace. And Frankel was at least a horse that had a little bit of tactical speed. And let me look, domestic spending, it's not like he can't be a little closer, but he's probably best coming from a, far, a bit farther off than he was on Saturday. I'm at a point now where I want to see rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Make sure that there's pace in the race. Because that, to me, is the only way that you can ensure that you're going to have the optimal chance of prevailing. Maybe you are that much better, and maybe you want to argue that he, if he's the bee's knees, if he's bricks and mortar 2.0, he's supposed to win. I suppose. But, boy, when I see the fractions of the race, and I'm like, good God. They're just, they're walking out there. And there's, again, there's nothing that anyone involved with domestic spending did wrong. But I know Chad has done this in the past. He's not afraid to put a rabbit in. I believe it was the Breeders' Cup a number of years ago. We had Shining Copper open up by 100. And I believe that was a Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to help set up a horse like Big Blue Kitten. I don't have any issue with it. I'm, uh, the bigger overriding question I have for all of you, the listeners and the viewers, wh what are your thoughts on rabbits in big races? Because to me, if if I'm an owner and I have, look, if I'm owning a racehorse, I probably have a fair, you know, I, I can handle buying another horse. Uh, I would even think about it on dirt in route races. If, if I have a horse that doesn't have that early running style, this makes more sense for turf than it does dirt. But the sort of the theory still remains. Like if I have a horse that needs some pace, why wouldn't I get a horse that I know has pace to help set up the big horse coming from off of it? Call it team tactics. Call it what you will. There's nothing. It's, it's not a forbidden thing. It's, it's just... I want to make sure my 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 big horse, and I, I go back to domestic spending because I feel like had he won this race and if they don't run him again until the Breeders' Cup, I don't know what the plan is. I haven't read anything yet. But this could prevent him from a legitimate chance of being horse of the year if I recognize other things would need to, other chips would need to fall in, in certain fashions. But now I think because people still, for whatever reason, I don't want to say they look down on turf racing, but they always are like, eh. He basically needed to be perfect, I think, to have an opportunity to be horse of the year. When in my heart, I believe he is every bit as talented, if not more so than any other horse in training. So that's disappointing for me as a fan. Gambling, I get it. It's an opportunity perhaps to take advantage and say, look, there's no speed in here. I know I can rely on, let's think of New York, Luis Saez to go because he's an aggressive rider. He'll go. He's not afraid to. But I don't, it, it's not always the most satisfying result where I sit there after the race and go, yeah, you know what, best horse won. No, not always. And I think a rabbit would at least give a more honest run of the race. Put it that way. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube about rabbits in general. Also, the last piece I will bring up and I made this comment on Spencer's podcast, but, and maybe it's a bit overzealous. Some people feel free to say aggressive, stupid comment, whatever. The Saratoga special, I think you might have seen something pretty good. And I, I made the comparison calling, 
without being... I don't think this is crazy, especially when you consider he's only started twice, and the horse that I've compared him to, it was in his career debut. But the performance from High Oak in the Saratoga special, to me, was very reminiscent to that of Tis the Law a few years ago when he broke his maiden in his career debut at Saratoga. They both earned 90 buyers. I believe Tis the Law earned a 90, 89, 90, somewhere thereabouts. They both sat from just off the pace. They both exploded down the lane and drew off for fun. Now, Tis the Law was much more brilliant visually than High Oak was, but High Oak ran. And based on his pedigree, I see no reason why he's not going to stretch out in distance and run better as the distances get longer. I like that he's proven in two starts that he can sit comfortably. He's not some headstrong nutcase. He can relax, wait, wait, wait for his cue, and then go on with it. To me, at this point right now, I think you have to look at High Oak and think that, you know, he's one of the more exciting two-year-old prospects as far as the boys are concerned. It's a, probably a pretty quick turnaround for a race like the Hopeful, but I, I would I would have to think a race like the Champagne at Belmont, the one-turn mile for a grade one event for two-year-olds. I have to think that's next on the docket for this horse, perhaps en route to a run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile out of Del Mar. I thought High Oak was really, really good on Saturday. Let me know what your thoughts are about that race beneath the video player on YouTube. And again, as well, your thoughts about just rabbits in general or the thought of making sure that the big horse has an opportunity to get the job done and we can't look at it and say he was pace compromised in a pretty dramatic fashion. Uh, now, let's transition into some handicapping going forward. We'll talk about the Friday feature. It's the 8th at Saratoga. It is seven furlongs on the main track, a starter allowance race, and to help us out, this week's Friday feature guest is Aaron Reed. All right, Friday feature time, Aaron Reed, a returning guest. He was the winner of, or one of the winners anyway. Again, I, I thought having two races last week, Aaron, was actually going to be beneficial. I believe you were the only one who had one of the two in there. So congratulations. Well done. You are a returning guest. And I had mentioned to you before we were going to start the segment that the good news is we don't need to do the full deep dive. But for those who are unfamiliar, it's been a little while anyway. Um, good to have you back on. And, and how are things? Things are good. That might have been the only pick I got right uh, over the weekend. It's been it's been kind of going that way lately, but uh, glad I was able to, to nail that one. We've got, uh, you know, it's been a busy time just seems to be flying by with uh, the summer and everything. So I can't believe that Saratoga meet is actually more than halfway done and Del Mar as well. So uh, it's always fun watching that, but, you know, been, been real busy and trying to watch as much horse racing as I can, but uh, life's been pretty, pretty full this summer, which is a good thing. Before we get into any of the, the action from Saturday and certainly the Friday feature coming up, which is the eighth at Saratoga, seven eighths of a mile on the main track for starter allowance types. Um, yeah, I, I remember you mentioning the first time you were on uh, that you're involved with a few horses and uh, you've owned a, a few different ones. Do you have any anyone running right now? Anyone in training still? No, that's been part of the frustration. We've got uh, two two in We've got a two year old who's had what I would call just sort of baby issues, you know, um, had to, we, we started and stopped, uh, with, with him. Um, but he's started back up again. So his name is Vortex rising. We're hoping he's an Indiana bred that we homebred, uh, that we hope to maybe hit the track here September optimistically, uh, here in Indiana grand and Shelby, good old Shelbyville, Indiana. And then, uh, we've got another one with iron horse racing, Bohemian boy who debuted shortly after yes. the show one is debut. Um, and then it's been kind of, you know, one, nothing major, just little things here and there and so forth, but he's back, um, had to take some time off, but he's back, uh, starting 
And I, we're hoping that he'll get a start in before the end of the year, but we'll see. He, he's shown promise, some talent. Um, it's just a matter of uh, getting him back on the track and, and going with him. So it's been a little frustrating, but that's, that's just the way it is when you own these horses, you know, it, it's, it's a lot, a lot of patience, a lot of time and effort just to hope everything goes right and you can keep them going right. I can only imagine too, with the two-year-old, I mean, you really never know what you've got. And I think that's gotta be one of the exciting pieces that, you know, who knows what a horse could turn into, but on the flip side, the things that you're dealing with the little, you know, nothing major, but just kind of growing up, the growing pains, those sort of things. I remember uh, going many, many years ago. I, I didn't even realize it at the time, but I'll have another who went on to win the Kentucky Derby for Doug O'Neill. You know, he had shin splints as a two-year-old and just like little things that, you know, not the end of the world, but it's going to take some time for them to heal up so they can actually get back to the track. I'd imagine that has to be as frustrating as anything when those things come up. It is, and that's kind of exactly what's happened to, to him, to our Colt. But uh, he's a half to a Indiana bred stakes winner that we bred. So, and he was training well. You know, the trainers, uh, he's with Tim Glyshaw, and uh, Tim has, you know, said he was coming along well. He just has, you know, these little issues you got to deal with. And Tim's real good about um, not not rushing horses along and pushing them along and doing what's right by the horse. So we're, we're confident that he'll get there. It's just a matter of being patient and, and working through the process. You'd mentioned this summer trying to take in as much racing as possible. The the main events, I would say, over the past weekend, uh, I'm going to still call it the Arlington Million, even though now it sounds like everything is done. The Mr. D stakes the four-star Dave up at Saratoga, a race like the Beverly D out at Arlington. Uh, any opinions on some of the results that we saw? Because really, I don't want to say it, everything was off form, but for the most part, outside of the Beverly D we had some, some upsets in the two big grade ones. I mean, any thoughts on domestic spendings loss um, I, for me? And I talked about at the top of the show, just the, the, the pace issues that are going on constantly. It's not just a New York thing anymore. It yeah. just feels like no one wants to go. And then you, on the flip side, you have a, a performance from, from got stormy that it feels like she turned the clock back and got back to one of her best. I mean, any, any thoughts on any of the racing from this past weekend? Yeah, just real quick um, on the got stormy. I, I don't, I can't decide whether she's back or she just loves the firm rock hard turf at Saratoga that she can, she gets up there sometimes. Um, you know, so I don't know what I'll do with her going forward when, it, when you're looking at the Breeders' Cup and things, but obviously it was a brilliant performance. I mean, she put on a show again, <laughs> which was really good to see. Of course, I didn't. I didn't have her because <laughs> <laughs> I chased her a few times, and I'm like, uh, is she a, is she really now a turf sprinter? Or is she back to a mile? I, you know what to do with her? Kind of like uh, Casa Creed. Yeah. You know what do you do with him? He looked like really. They maybe they found his niche at, at the sprint, and then they stretch it back out to a mile, and he and he ran pretty well. I mean, he hit the board. Um, and then the the Chicago racing. I I mean, I, to me, that was an unbelievable effort to get up and almost win that race. Quite honestly, I, I don't think you take anything away from from the brown horse there um, off that effort. If anything, I think it just confirms what a brilliant, talented horse it is. And if it got any pace at all in that race, it would have won. So I think going forward, it's just a matter of where are they going to go with it? Do they stretch it out for something like the Breeders' Cup turf? Is it a miler better? You know, where, where does that, that horse fit going forward? But wherever it lands, that, that certainly is going to be a favorite and deservedly so going forward. I think it's the best turf horse in America right now. I'm with you. And it, it's kind of unfortunate. I feel like had he won that race and then let's say he wins a Breeders' Cup event, whether it's the turf or the mile, he at least would have had a, a 
I would say he would have been a finalist for horse of the year. People still discount turf racing here in the States for whatever reason, you know, to, to each their own. But I think the loss, despite the fact that to your point, you could argue given the dynamics of the race, this may have actually been his best performance um, given. And I, I could be wrong. I'd have to look at the sectionals. I believe every one of his quarters was faster, which is there's something to be said about that. And he still didn't win the race. You know, I mean, that that's a, that's just an unfortunate set of circumstances and don't take any, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from the winner, two Emmys who just went out there and, and wired the field, but I, I can't help but think with some sort of pace in the race, he wins. I, I can't help but think that mm-hmm. to be the case and, and to go back to Saratoga with the got stormy situation. I'm with you because you look at her overall body of work. I got to the point last year where when they finally turned her back, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be kind of the swan song. This is going to be, you know, she's still very competitive, but clearly she can't cut it at the top level at the flat mile anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. She was a five-year-old last year. She's six now. And then the races that she had run this year, they weren't bad, but I clearly thought she had taken a step back. And whether it's Saratoga, because now she's three for four and four times in the exacta up there at Saratoga. And to your point, I remember vividly, I don't remember what show it was, but we were doing something and there was that question Mark Cassie was very clear. We had kind of heard about it before the show started that he's only going to run her if the turf is suitable because she doesn't really like any cut. She likes just really, really firm going. The good news is for the connections and everybody involved, you would think Delmar in November is going to be rock solid. And, you know, I mean, I I believe she's run out there before. If I go through the PPs, no, maybe she hasn't. But I would like to think that that's going to be a surface that would be suitable for her. The question now is, do you keep her at the flat mile or do you turn her back in distance? Good problem to have, I suppose, if you're the folks involved with Got Stormy. Speaking of Saratoga, let's talk about the Friday feature. I know you've got some work things coming up. Seven-eighths of a mile on Saturday. Race number eight, starter allowance types. Nice full field of 10 signed on in here. I think it's a really fascinating race because you've got horses who – it doesn't feel like they have lived up to their potential. And on the flip side, you've got a horse, and I'm thinking of one specifically in Jake Rocks, who the last race is really fast for the level. And it's far and away the fastest he's ever run in his career. Yet he's won for 24 and he's finished for settled for minor awards on eight different occasions. Talk us through this race. Where did you start and ultimately where did you end up? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I noticed that exact. Uh, that was my notes on Jake Rock. So I started just like like I do most races, just looking at the condition and trying to figure out who fits. And this is a really interesting race because it is a starter allowance condition, and it's but it's a it's a basically a non-two unless you won only at claiming tags and things. So you've got horses coming in from that are that are coming out of lower level races that are that are moving up. You've got horses dropping out of a grade two. You've got um, mostly three year old. There's only three older horses, I think. So this that's why I picked this race is because it's such a puzzle you've got a million different angles coming at you so so the first thing I tried to do is figure out pace I always try to uh, figure out what's what's the race shape going to look like and when I went through and then try to go from there um, so when I went through this what what I noticed was for a sprint race this is going seven on the dirt I mean it's an elongated sprint I get it but still you'd expect there to be uh, some speed balls in there and I didn't really see any confirmed got a need to lead front runner type so which i think really compromises um some of the horses like the one wicked indeed or the 10 that look like confirmed closers to me and so i kind of honed in on the two likable i thought 
you know, here's one of these that showed a lot of promise as a two-year-old. Um, and then they've just been kind of dropping, you know, down last time into 40 and it got gobbled up. Um, now, what's interesting is, will this horse even run? It just ran. A, it'll be a, a one-week turnaround. Um, so speaking of, of uh, got stormy, she did that at Saratoga and won two, two great stakes race on the turf. So clearly it can be done. I'm guessing that they claimed with maybe this in mind. Um, and so I would expect it to run. And if it breaks and kind of can return to that uh, more precocious form as a two-year-old, I think it's got a shot to be, be you know, on the lead. It's almost has to go, I think, from that two-hole. So maybe that'll force it to, to go out. The only negative I saw there was Saez um, opting to run, to ride the four. Um, so, but I think the four also is one he showed uh, quite a bit of early foot. He wasn't on the lead in that last race. And it's kind of a merry-go-round race. He just chased chase the winner. I think it was baby Yoda, maybe chase the winner around. Um, but he did run a huge figure and, um, you know, did that take a lot out of him or, you know, what's the story there? It's hard to say because he is a bit of a nibbler with eight board finishes and only one win and 24 tries. Repo rocks is kind of interesting because he blew the start last time, um, and chased Jake rocks and the winner. Um, but he made, I thought a kind of a hidden middle move in that race. He, he, it wasn't a classic rush up where he rushed all the way up to the front, but he, he did um, make a long sustained move and then predictably flattened out. So I would expect him if he breaks clean to, to be, you know, right there as well. And then finally, from ones that are kind of interesting, I thought on the lead was Mr. Luigi, who's coming in from a grade two, um, you know, he dropped, he was in an allowance race before that. This is the first time he's run in a, class race since his maiden breaker and this kind of a level this is a little higher level race but he gets Lasix back on and good news for him is jackie's warrior is not in this race yeah. <laughs> so 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 even though he was you know beaten 10th i think and was chasing way behind i mean uh this is a whole different ball game and he should he should make a big improvement off the second off or third off the layoff this one you know it's got a lot of a lot of angles i like I think this is the kind of horse too. to that point. I think people that just look at the raw form and the running line, they're going to say, well, how could he possibly be forwardly placed? Well, when you factor in the two horses that he's running against most recently are two of the faster horses, not just in, you know, Saratoga in the country, as far as the sprint division is concerned with Jackie's warrior and even drain the clock. That was also over a sloppy sealed track. And he didn't have to love that. That was his first time out going over that. So to your point, pretty substantial I would call it class relief despite the fact that it doesn't you know three-year-old restricted graded stake this is still this is a starter allowance this is much much softer company than he was been taking on so I agree with you I think he's interesting you know you brought up likable and he's the one I'm almost curious your thoughts from an ownership standpoint when you see a horse like this because I thought his maiden score before they threw him into the Breeders' Cup last year I thought he was really good that day. He was much more settled. He was really never asked to do much running. And he just blew the doors off a field. Granted, it was only a five-horse field. But I, I kind of look at his running lines this year, and I go, well, off the layoff in the swale, I don't really want to hold that against him too much. Again, we just talked about drain the clock. He was in that race. Gone for some time, comes back. They run him on the turf. I don't know if I love that. Didn't do much running. Then gone again for some substantial time. And in the big picture, yes, it was a non-winners of two life, but he was forwardly placed in a race that had a little bit of heat going on early. And 
he didn't totally pack it in. I just, when you see a horse like this, who at least showed something as a two-year-old and connections like Pletcher and St. Elias and Rapoli, and they're just cutting bait, washing their hands from you in your position and perspective as an owner. I mean, is it a total red flag or knowing that that's such a, let's just call it a large operation. Maybe they look at it and say, we've got better prospects. We can afford to let this one go. Yeah, I would, I would take a flyer on it for sure. I, I imagine, I don't know if there was a shake for this horse or not, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if there, if there was, um, because, you know, it did, it did show talent. The fact that it does, if it came from a small, like to your point, if it came from a small operation where they don't have a whole lot of horses and they put it in, then that, that would be a red flag. But when, when groups like this do it, um, A, they want to win races at Saratoga. Yep. So they thought, you know, they're going to drop it in for a 40. Um, and B, you know, you look at the purse structure and everything else, if it gets claimed and they win, they're going to get a, a decent chunk of change out of it and just move on. And they, they and obviously it has some sort of issues because yep. it has those gaps in its running lines. Um, but you know, it's certainly one where if you're patient and you want to claim it, then maybe you can get it right. And you can have a pretty nice, uh, starter allowance horse on your hands or, or even a high level claimer going forward. I mean, that's pretty, you know, they're going to bring it back protected, bring it back in a week as an owner that tells me the trainer saying, Hey, this horse came back and he's just kicking the stall down. Yeah. He's just got lots of energy that race didn't take anything out of him, And we want to, we want to run him back again. Now, if he scratches, then obviously that's that's not the case. But you you bring up an important point too, and I know uh, PTF and I have talked about it with the happy hours, especially toward the end. And maybe it's not quite as prevalent as it used to be, because to your point, now with the purse structure, you can still you can make these aggressive moves early on in the meet. But especially at the end, when you get into that sort of you know nip and tuck, whether it's the owner's standings or the trainer's standings, look for those aggressive drops. And it's not necessarily a negative; it's just that they're trying to win the title for the Saratoga yep. meeting and they're willing to lose the horse if that's what it takes. And to your point, if the horse gets taken and you win the race, you know, not ideal that you're going to lose out on a decent runner, but at the same time, you're going to make something off of it. And hopefully it ends up propelling you to the position you'd like to be in as far as the overall standings are concerned. So definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, you brought up the pace situation. I think likable has to be forwardly placed. Um, Running style-wise at the 7-8 configuration, I talked about it a few weeks ago with the track profiles. I feel like that distance is not necessarily as dependent on being on the front, but I don't know that you want to come from 100 out of it. And to your point, you brought up with the lack of confirmed early gas in here, maybe some of those more fancied closers are going to be up against it a little bit from a tactical standpoint, and they're going to take some money. So in this race, knowing all the things that have been discussed, where did you ultimately land? I ultimately landed on Mr. Luigi for, for all the reasons we discussed before. The, the one thing that I would say is, is kind of a stranger, danger, interesting horse to me that I would definitely be using if, if, it, if the price is right. We don't have the morning line, or at least mm -hmm. I didn't see one yet. I, I got a feeling Mr. Luigi is going to be a fairly short price. Um, but critical threat uh, is an interesting one to use because you, you've got uh, Brendan Walsh trainee who won first out and he's not a first out win trainer. I mean, he does occasionally, but not often. Now, granted, it was at 40 at Keeneland, but it was a nice two-year-old figure that projects forward. Jonathan Kinchin talks about this all the time, about a two-year-old figure that if you say improves 10, 15%, does it fit? Yes, it does fit with this bunch. 
Um, and this horse showed he could, you know, win in first time out for a trainer connections like that. I'm not too worried about the layoff. Um, it's been 10 months since his last race, but you know, he could be competitive here. The only thing I didn't like was his running style. He looked like he was kind of mid pack in his debut and then closed well to win. Whereas I think that that's going to be a tough thing here and also going seven furlongs um, is always tough to ask off a long layoff, but uh, kind of an interesting sort of stranger danger horse there. Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, kind of adding fuel to that fire for next out winners from that debut score back in October. And I think more importantly for me, the figs that were earned coming out of that, the second and third place finishers, they came back and earned buyers of 65 and 75 to your point as two-year-olds at that point. Those races came back in November at Churchill and Del Mar, respectively. So, again, you kind of – I think you have to do that kind of projection, especially with a horse like this. And to your point, with Walsh not being a trainer that typically has him cranked up. And to be honest, not that this horse is necessarily going to turn into a graded stakes runner, but usually his early winners end up being pretty good horses in, in the big picture. It's not like they're going to be in for 20 at some point in their career. They're, they're pretty solid, and the fact that they bring this one back here – in a starter allowance position off such a lengthy layoff, I think that speaks volume. So I agree with you from a, a bit of a, maybe a middling price, maybe even getting into that 10 to one ish range, high single digits. I think critical threat is definitely intriguing, but Aaron, your selection is going to be the six, Mr. Luigi in the Friday feature, the eighth at Saratoga, seven eighths of a mile on the main track starter allowance company. If you want to be in Aaron's position next week, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube from a, win standpoint Aaron before we let you go what would be an acceptable price for you like you said we don't have morning line odds just yet David Aragona's morning line if, if folks haven't been paying attention he's always good but the Saratoga meeting he has basically been spot on you're within a half point or maybe even a point or two at worst uh, what would you look at this horse and say I wouldn't play him at anything shorter than x three to one on this one is kind of my uh my line of demarcation there I, I think if he floats up above that, I would be all over it. If it gets bet down to two to one or something like that, you know, obviously that's a good sign. Everybody thinks he's a live runner, but I, I don't know that I would want. You've got too many uh, solid horses in here that I think could pop a big one. Um, and so I would I would want to get a little bit of value. I mean, three to one is not a huge value, but I don't want to. I think that's value for this particular horse, three to one or higher. I was going to say representative of his chances of winning. I think that's a very fair way to put it. So Mr. Luigi for Aaron Reed in the Friday feature on Friday afternoon, race number eight at Saratoga. Aaron, thank you again for the time. Best of luck here. Best of luck with the horses that you guys have. And uh, hopefully we chat again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you again to Aaron for taking some time to help us out with this week's Friday feature. Again, beneath the video player on YouTube is where you leave your selection for the 8th at Saratoga on Friday. If you want to be in Aaron's position next week, uh, you need to be correct. I'll contact you. We'll set up a time to record and make something happen. Uh, however you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Again, many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. YouTube, search bar, Matt Burner, your show. you get this episode along with the 77 prior. few notes coming up for the rest of the week. Uh, Thursday, Horse Player Happy Hour. Make sure you get involved and come join PTF and I in the afternoon. We'll be riffing about some Saratoga action and some things coming up this weekend. Speaking of this weekend, Saturday, uh, live stream with ABR, Dan Torgman, Bram Weinstein, 
uh, Ren Carruthers. We're going to be chopping up Pacific Classic. Hopefully, there's another race that we'll be diving into as well. Uh, basically, all of the ABR social platforms and YouTube, you'll be able to find that. So looking forward to hopping on and chopping things up with those folks. Always a good time. And then the following week, I'll actually be up at Saratoga doing some work for ABR as well for the Travers. So when I say for the Travers, it's actually the undercard, the Breeders' Cup winning your in races. But I'll be up there and the Travers happens to be around that day. So, but this weekend is going to be very important, I think, in shaping what we think of perhaps the older division, at least on the West Coast. And knock on wood, it sounds like Dr. Post from the East Coast is going to be going out there as well. So should be a fun Pacific Classic coming up this weekend along with the other stakes races going on. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Until next Monday. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been Episode 78 of the Matt Bernier Show.